Hi, everybody. This is Steve Goldberg, and welcome to another edition of the 360 Insights HR Tech Chat. And I'm joined today by Sandra Moran uh, from Workforce Software, happens to be the Chief Marketing Officer at Workforce Software. Sandra and I just met a couple of weeks ago, and we determined that we had a lot in common with respect to the themes and the topics out there in uh, HCM HR Techland that were uh, kind of uh, getting us charged up. And one of them was employee experience. It's been um, certainly on people's uh, minds and radars for a couple of years now, but every year there's kind of new dimensions to it. And uh, I, I have to personally thank Workforce Software because some of those new dimensions are from research that Workforce Software happened to conduct. Uh, it's uh, actually this year was the third year in a row that Workforce Software conducted what's called the Global Employee Experience um, Study. So, Sandra, please, uh, if you can, just say hi and please let us know, maybe start with background for the study, kind of why it was done for the third year, general scope, what you were hoping to get out of it, and then we'll talk more about findings. Thanks Absolutely. a lot for joining. No, I'm so glad to be here and it's so good to see you again and definitely a vibrant conversation um, on the subject. So I'm so glad to be back together with you again. So, I, you know, our business is Desla's Workers uh, Workforce Software primarily works with very large global employers in manufacturing, in logistics, in um, pharma, in uh, retail, in organizations with large Desla's workforces and in service to our customers and in our own desire to, to know more about this. We started this study really three years ago. And um, the first year that we conducted it in 21, we were in the, you know, the height of work being completely disrupted. And of course, the individuals that were keeping us all safe and secure in our houses, uh, they were still out there in the mm -hmm. workforce. So yeah. that early divide between corporate employees and the people that have to perform their work or perform mo most of their work um, in person really drove us to, to research um, whether or not we were meeting employees' expectation, what was important to them, what did they value. And in the study, we looked at both sides, not only what um, employers felt that they were delivering, but what employees felt uh, their employers were delivering uh, to them with regard to employee experience. So it, it was that desire to better understand this topic that led us to start the study. Thanks for the background, Sandra. And, and I did read uh, some of the findings. And to me, one of the main ones that stood out was um, almost like a paradox. Uh, and I think, you know, right off the bat, what I'm referring to, uh, the paradox uh, being, you know, both employee and employer view it as something very important. View the employee experience as something very important. You know, we know Abraham Maslow uh, many years ago talked about self-actualization and why that's important to people and self-esteem, how that translates into engagement, retention, productivity, et cetera. Uh, yeah, so most people buy into that, but yet there was still major points of, let's say, divergence. So maybe you could speak to that. 
Absolutely. So the first year that we set out to do the study, um, it became not intentionally, but after the fact, nicknamed inside the company as the employee experience gap study. And that's because <laughs> the first year, um, we we every year we've surveyed a little bit over 3,000 individuals, and we've been fortunate to get feedback from around the world. Let me just set the context. And about half of the respondents being deskless workers and half of the respondents being employers from the employer side, either managers who were responsible for uh, delivering a great experience to their employees or, co or corporate employees and organizations. And in 21, the like aha gotcha moment was that um, employers rated themselves in, in every category that had a significant impact to employees. Do you have the training that you need to be successful in your job? Is, is your employer flexible? Are they helping you deal with personal circumstances in your life? Do they get valuable feedback from you? We, we looked through a, a variety of topics that are considered um, important to employee experience. And what we found is... Uh, Employers were giving themselves, you know, 88s, 92, <laughs> 98, and their employees were feeling considerably different about that um, on, on every category. So again, it became nicknamed the gap study, and it was because mm. employers were like, oh, of course, 98% of the time, we help our employees with the training that they need. And um, employers were saying that, and employees were saying something quite different. You know, 60% of them felt wow. that they had what they need. Yeah. Absolutely. The second year that we conducted the study, what we found was the gap completely closed, nearly completely closed, again, in almost every one of these categories. But Steve, the headline was it closed because employers realized they were actually not delivering. So the gap closed, but the opportunity to really um, implement changes that were meaningful to employees, mm. um, they just realized they weren't doing it. Yeah. yeah. And the headline of this year, and we just completed the study, um, the headline this year is the gap remains closed. But on the issues that were most important, like do you actually offer flexible scheduling that enables me to get greater work-life balance? It gives me more control. Um, on those topics, the importance to employees for those in, in experience aspects raised dramatically. So I'll just look so that I'm saying the right thing. So um, in 2001, Employees said, you know, 59%, does my employer help me with scheduling flexibility, with control? Um, in 2023, that became 84% wow. more important to employees. Mm -hmm. So the, the gap is closed. They both realize mm -hmm. they're not meeting the need. And at the same time, employees are continuing to pour on how critically important this is to them. One, when they're selecting an employer and two, when they're deciding to stay with an employer. Really fascinating. And um, when we met for the first time at the HR Tech Conference, I, I mentioned that I think it was six, seven years ago, I published my first article on the employee experience. And that article, and I, I think I kind of walked you through my 30-second five-pillar employee experience or superior employee experience framework. And uh, I just want to do kind of a, a rewind or a refresh on that and get your perspective on that and see yeah. to what extent the study findings were 
kind of aligned with it. Uh, so the five pillars of a superior employee experience, according to what I came up with five years ago, and I'm sticking with it. Uh, the first one is the recognition. It's a universal need of all employees, uh, an intrinsic need to, to do meaningful work, feel valued. And I know the word value or feeling valued came up in your studies. So we can come back to that. Meaningful work, feeling valued, and be productive. Yes, all employees want to be productive. The day goes a lot more quickly, as we know. A second pillar is employees need a line of sight into how their skills are going to be developed, right? And uh, to the extent that there's a career path, that they're seeing how employees are, how the employees are supporting that. The third, uh, the third pillar is the perception of fairness, right? Fairness and the flexibility dimension comes in there, right? If a colleague, a, a coworker is getting a lot of, you know, prime, prime choice uh, shifts to work and I'm not, there's a perception of, there's not a perception of fairness, right? The fourth one is pretty fundamental. You know, I want my employer to, um, to really value total well-being, my total well-being, physical, mental, et cetera. And the fifth one is uh, that the tools that I'm using, so put it in the context of a deskless worker, putting in their hours, swapping the shift. The tools that I'm using have to enhance my productivity, not be a roadblock, not impede my productivity. So I know that when I first shared this with you, it seemed to resonate. Um, so what what say you about uh, you know the findings and whether or not I need to modify those? Are there any other kind of foundational pillars that I need to be considering? Um, I, I think, I'll say I when you when we talked about them, I, I absolutely agree with them. But what I'll say is the way that you think about those impacting corporate employees versus deskless employees might make them take on a slightly different dimension. And I think also fundamental to this over the, the time period that we're talking about, the rise in power of employees and their willingness to um, tolerate uh, a, a system that is more favorable just to what is in the best interest of the company um, is, is becoming uh, um, less and less viable for, um, you know, a, a deskless worker population of employees. And, you know, we've seen it with um, some of the strikes where, um, you know, employees have more power today in industries where there are labor shortages the need to address these issues in a way that is suited to the deskless worker needs to, to come in into frame. So no longer is it okay to have a one size fits all or to um, just service the needs of your corporate employees where things like, what is my career progression and how are you yes. investing? In some cases, these are critical issues to specific employees in that population. In some cases, it really isn't. They may be working in this job and they chose this job because what's most important to them is work-life balance. They want to be done at five o'clock. Yes. They want to do a yes. great job at work. And so I think what you have to start thinking about is how do you adapt those pillars of critical importance um, in employee experience to the population and not just the population of workers, but down to the individual? So, you know, when you talk about something like wellness, um, I recently did a considerable amount of research, I actually wrote about 
Um, just the barriers to access to wellness for deathless worker populations being really significant in many ways. I'll give you a couple examples. One is communication. I can't tell you how many organizations, it just shocks me today. We walk in, they have no mechanism to communicate with their deathless worker population except through their manager. I still walk into a factory when I'm visiting customers and there's like the, you know, the uh, uh, cork board with all of the... Yes. So, how how am I really going to be able to, and don't forget managers or deskless employees too, how do I communicate availability of benefits, um, remove some of the stigma maybe of participating in some wellness benefits, especially if you're thinking about mental health services. And, you know, in combination with something like having schedule control, if I don't have the ability to control my schedule, say when I'm unavailable, swap shifts easily, then how am I going to participate in some of the wellness programs that the company even offers? So I think you have to take each one of those um, down to the employee level. I think you have to take each one of those and evaluate whether or not the mechanisms by which you provide information and access and actually support the employee to take advantage of them, have you really adapted that to the needs of this, um, you know, unique working population? Well, <clears throat> I have to admit, uh, you you certainly gave me a wake up call. Um, I spent <laughs> um, from mid eighties to late nineties uh, in HR on Wall Street. There weren't a whole lot of deskless workers or hourly paid employees. We had certainly we had some or many in operations. Um, so really, I, I appreciate that um, that guidance. So it, it does need to be adapted or else it's just gonna you know, be minimally uh, relevant to this population, right? So one of the things I've been thinking about it and while I'm listening to you is this notion of, um, I don't even know if people use this phrase anymore. I think I learned it in school, but you know, kind of the force field analysis, forces for me and forces against me, right? And a deskless worker, somebody that's out in the field, the communication uh, dimension is a challenge. Uh, I don't know if the employer and my manager really care a lot about my mental well-being. Um, what am I doing that keeps me engaged, that keeps me connected to the organization? I mean, the onus is on the organization, that person's supervisor or manager, to, to think about that you know, what what the challenges are and how do we offset the downside of those challenges, right? How do we yeah. get that employee feeling more connected? And mm -hmm. I, I know workforce software um, and, and with your workforce management platform, you do think a lot about communications, particularly for deskless workers and those in the field. So when you think about that kind of forces for you, forces against you, how do you how do you um, how do you make up for the more um, you know extreme challenges that are faced by deskless workers, particularly those in the field? How do you make up for it? Yeah, well, I think number one is that we already own the technology, and most employees already have the technology in their hand. Um, so today, I think we really are we have the technology at our hands, and we have the ability to use technology to dramatically improve the employee's experience. 
Um, some of the barriers are things like uh, about 78% of deskless employees, they don't even have a corporate email address. So mm -hmm. communicating with them re really requires you to think about different ways that you can do that at, at a cost effect in a cost effective way. I think the other thing is when you look at large populations of employees, in order to enable experiences that are meaningful, we have to think beyond the once a year feedback survey. We really have to think about whether, whether or not we're able to gather and then act upon feedback that we get from employees in a rapid enough cycle that they feel heard. So it's yeah. one thing to ask me my opinion, honestly, and you you probably know this. If you ask me what my opinion is and you don't do anything about Absolutely. it, it's, Absolutely. it probably shouldn't have even asked me anyway. Yeah. So I think, again, from a technology perspective, we have the ability to trigger communications that are based on what's happening in the life of the employee, put the power of that into the hands of their manager so that they can actually act upon it. And I'll, I'll give you an example. What do I mean like triggered by work events? You could have an employee that has worked multiple overtime shifts in a row. And if I'm saving for a house, I could be like, yes, Steve, please. Hey, any shift, yes. I'm in for it. If that employee is an employee for whom that scheduled change is disrupting their life, they can't pick up their child there, then I want to capture that then. Hey, Steve, detected three you know, unplanned overtime shifts. How's that working for you? I want to make technology work for the manager to create an interaction where I actually am interested in the employee's feedback. And then the manager is easily able to act upon that feedback. So all of that technology exists today. Um, I'm not trivializing what it takes to think through. How do you want to um, empower your managers to react to these kinds of changes? Um, but it is possible, even in highly regulated industries, um, if the work rules about whether the employee can or can't work a shift are known in the system, you know, we can bypass scheduling people when we shouldn't. Um, we can do things like open up available shifts because we know the software is only going to offer right. that to people with right. the appropriate skills. So um, when I talk about digitally enabling communications, I really do mean that we can do that even in complex settings but we want to do it in a way that really honors the employee in things that would be disruptive or would matter to them. Yeah. Boy, that triggers a, a thought. Thank you for that. Uh, very, um, it, you know, it, it, it's very easy to relate to what, what you're, the way you're presenting it. But one of the things that I kind of uh, thought about as you were talking about it was, Kind of the, you have a dual operating context. You have the person's operating context, and you have the employer operating context. What's going on in the person's life? What's going on in the in that organization? And one of the terms I use uh, when I write blogs is that we live in a period of max fluidity, right? And there's really max fluidity as it pertains to both employee and employer. And if you have a lot of uh, fluidity and change, and some of that is unpredictable in my life, in the, in, the, uh, in the operating context of the organization, maybe business plans and priorities are changing, then I believe there's even more of a reason, a more compelling reason for the organization to make sure they close, uh, close the loop between 
you know, what do they get out of continuous listening via surveys or anything else? What are they finding out? And is it something that they need to act on? If that period is weeks or months, then forget it, right? Yeah. It's the same thing as uh, what you were saying before. If I take the time to fill out a survey or have a one-on-one -on -one with my manager and say, uh, I, I feel like I'm, I'm getting, uh, you know, the short end of the stick on, on, on the options available to me or there's no flexibility and, and nothing happens and everything is status quo, most likely I leave. And, um, and, and if it's okay with you, I just want to shift gears to, as I alluded to it at the beginning, I you know, in your study, you talk about one of the things that causes employees to leave or and or have low engagement is they don't feel valued right mm -hmm. now if you think about what are the kind of the uh what are the prerequisites if you will of feeling valued well one is having my sources of value that i'm bringing to the organization recognized and it's mm -hmm. not just in the confines of my job as you know it's there's many other ways i could be delivering value to the organization i could be referring good candidates i could be channeling ideas, I could be a connector, a change champion, all that stuff. In the deskless work world, is um, is that as relevant? And what are some of the considerations that maybe our audience is not aware of in terms of the manager and the organization overall being aware of all those sources of value the employee is delivering? Yeah, I, I think um, it, it's as relevant in deskless as it is in corporate, it is um, often, again, there's a barrier to the deathless worker that it doesn't often exist. I mean, I can, you know, be right in contact with you. There's a lot of feedback mechanisms. We're usually um, both sitting at a desk. We have a lot of opportunity to communicate, to provide instant feedback. But when we talk about things like, does the employee feel valued? I, I think that is like, that's a verb. It's not a, you know, a feedback survey. It is actually making me feel valued. And if you look at the, the shift in population uh, diversity, the, um, you know, by 2025, 75 plus percent of the employee population are going to be digital natives. When, when they're talking about feeling valued, they're not just like answering the questions that you ask <laughs> They actually want to have input. They want to feel valued that you're not just dictating to them how they're going to do work, that they actually have a say, that they have input into, um, into how things can be improved that they're being asked to do. And just that one thing, you told me to do this, you gave me an operating procedure. Did you know I didn't even get three of the parts that you told me I have to use for this? There's all kinds of frustrations in a worker's life. How do they know, know who to contact? How do they even have a mechanism by which they can provide that feedback? I really do mean that feeling valued and having a voice means not just these 10 survey questions, but that you are including me in the process uh, around yes. how work gets performed. Um, if I provide feedback, I'm recognized for making something mm -hmm. better. And again, I think technology can play an incredibly valuable role in connecting the individual to the person asking them to do work 
can create a mechanism by which people are communicating together. Um, we have a client that um, digitized their communications and their employees took it in completely different directions. <laughs> That's funny. They created little competitions. Yeah. Um, they took ideas from the companies, made them better, sent them back. Um, the <laughs> felt valued because it really became part of the fabric of how the company yes. thought about tapping yeah. that expert. Who knows better um, how totally. to do the job than the person doing it um, and what the barriers maybe that the company doesn't even know about that exist to them doing that. And if you know about it, you can take action about it. But if you can't gather it, <laughs> you, you know, they, absolutely. Instead of like people like, oh, did you see how dumb this is? <laughs> they can actually make an impact. I think that level of feeling valued is the is the next area that people are really going to have to look inward. Are we really doing this? Are we are we missing this opportunity to capture all this um, this knowledge and put it to work for us? Yeah. Uh... And I think, and you would probably agree, I mean, small steps matter, right? Small steps, small progress toward feeling valued. It's not a binary thing, you know, where I either feel valued or I don't. Well, it could be that. Uh, but it's not like if these 12 things, as you pointed out, are are happening and those are things I'm experiencing, I'm going to feel valued. If not, I'm not going to feel valued. Well, it's not like that. And um I remember the first the first CHRO that I reported to right out of grad school. Uh, I had a small team, and he and I remember, you know, to this day, kind of uh, a tip uh, that he gave me. He said, "If we can get to the point in the culture that you build for your team, where everyone kind of thinks and acts like an owner of the business, even though it was a back office operations area, we want everyone to think and act like an owner of the business, like a corner store owner of the business." Uh, we want people to feel like they have control and agency, and they can, to some extent, be the architect of their own life here, uh, to some extent, not to, you know, it, it, you get to the point where it, uh, not everything is realistic, but, you know, so sorry to kind of go on a, a soapbox about this, but it, it's always been really, really important to me when I talk to any company where they pride themselves on culture, I try to zero in on that. And I think you do as well. Um, Absolutely. And I those are the sort of customers I think that you go after. And and total workforce culture, not, not like handling my corporate employees and saying, wow, what a great job I've done. But really, are you embracing that culture across um, mm. to all of the employees? And, you know, in some industries, the deskless population is upwards of 80% of their total employee population. And being able to be responsive to the needs of the individual, that value is earned every day. It's yep. how the manager replies if I'm late. It's um, looking at data trends and reaching out to you before you become completely disengaged to see if I can bring you in. You may be unaware of, I mean, we'd have an employee that's you know, all the time, everything's great, and all of a sudden, we see this trend. What better way to say you're valued than to reach out and say, like, you know, what, what can I do? It, it could be yes. something that they have not brought to you. So feeling valued, creating connections, those are earned in all of the moments that managers have between the employees. 
And I, I did read a McKinsey study not that long ago, and it, it talked about the, you know, I, I said it earlier, the frontline manager is a deskless employee. And very often they knew what their employee wanted, but they lacked the ability to get the company to enable them to act upon what the employee was asking for. Mm. And, um, and so being able to, to do something to act on the feedback is a really important part of experiences that are earned every day. In terms of acting on feedback, acting on what's observed or what's coming out of uh, even informal uh, research uh, within an organization, um, it's not always it's not always possible. So if hypothetically there's just too much going on for us to now uh, turn the wheel this way, change some policies or practices because we're hearing uh, the, the the employee population wants that. What does an organization do when uh, they it's valid? They acknowledge it, they want to do it, but the timing is not right to make those various changes. What does an organization then do? Well, I, I I think you have to communicate. That's the number one. So if you give me something and I can't do it and I can empathize with you and I can talk about the fact that I understand how important that is and this is how we're going to work toward it. Again, it's sort of the worst thing if you ask me and then you don't do anything about it. Even if you're not able to do something about it today, I think acknowledging that you've received that feedback and talk about what are the barriers to doing that um, but with the commitment that, you know, you are going to work toward creating an experience that's meaningful to the employee. And, you know, I, I'll dive into something like scheduling, which is really, you know, after fair and accurate pay scheduling. Yes, yes. And for the deathless employee, control and say in their schedule is become what hybrid work is to us. It's like, no, I, I want to have some of that flexibility. I want to have some of that in my, my life too. And um, I do think there's going to come a day when most organizations think about, especially to attract sufficient workers in markets that are particularly, uh, you know, uh, labor short, um, I think scheduling, offering flexibility for employees, thinking about taking a traditional schedule and breaking it into different components will be more the norm. Would you be willing to work if it was, you know, a, a schedule that was more tuned to your work-life balance or you had some predictability or you had some control in it? I think someday that is going to be the norm. And I think organizations that are capable of delivering those kinds of personalized experiences sooner are the ones that are going to be able to differentiate themselves and win in the war for talent today versus being forced into it someday where it is no longer a differentiator for you. So I think understanding what are the most important aspects of experience for that employee, not just the employee population, and being able to find this balance between what the company needs and what the employee wants so that yes. it's a win um, is the direction that, that people need to go. And, you know, I think here it is three years of this study, 
Um, employers know that they're not delivering the experience that their employees want. In the meantime, they want it even more. Those who move from understanding, wow, I can't do it, to action are going to be the winning organizations in the future. So, um, you know, I hope the study is enlightening to people. Uh, I hope organizations, because I, you know, people that are in HR, we got into HR because we love people. We, we want to yes. impact our lives. Yes. Um, mm -hmm. The technology is there to ensure that employers' needs are met and the employee wants are delivered. And so it's time to act. And those needs or needs, interests, and goals, we're trying to balance needs, interests, and goals of employee and employer, they might be changing on both sides, on one or both sides. What employee is going to have the same exact needs, interests, and goals for 10 years? Very few. Yes. So that's where I think AI or Gen AI is going to be able to personalize based on a fluid operating context. Uh, mm -hmm. At least I'm optimistic about that. We'll start to see that more in the deskless worker population. So in closing, what uh, what might you uh, expect if this if the study is conducted again next year? What's one thing that you expect that might be different than you found this year? Well, let me say what I hope it is. <laughs> and that is that more organizations have moved to close the gap. Because mm -hmm. we, we are considerably beyond awareness at this point. Um, many employers have realized exactly what you're talking about. I've asked you for this, but you have yet to deliver. So I'm going to close with, I hope it is that the gap is closed because employers are really recognizing that um, employees want to say they want, um, you know, not just training, but access to training just in time through their mobile device. They really want to have a deep and meaningful connection with their employer. They want to be paid fairly. They want input and control in their life. So I do think we're there with technology. That's the optimistic part. And I think um, it's it's just definitely time to act. So that's what I hope I see in the study next year. I, I cannot top that. And uh, <laughs> this has just been uh, such an amazing talk to me personally, because I'm still learning after all these years in and around HR, HCM and HR tech, I'm still learning. And that's why I like to interact with folks like you, because I keep learning. So thanks a lot. Really appreciate you joining our HR tech chat from uh, 360 Insights. And uh, see you again at the next industry event. You stay well. Absolutely. Thank you. Take Bye. care, Sandra.